All right. Well, about 18 years ago now, uh, my life was completely flipped upside down by Jesus. I was a sophomore in college at Drake University, and I was a proud, hard-hearted atheist at the time. And miraculously, God, he got a hold of my life, and he got a hold of my heart through the message of the gospel in God's word. And I came to Christ, and my life really has never been the same. It's not that I stopped sinning that day, uh, but the trajectory of my life, it completely changed from that day forward. And when I came to Christ, I didn't know much. I didn't have much of a background at all in Christianity, but I did know this. I, I knew that I loved my parents, and I knew that they needed Christ. And so one of the first things that I thought about after coming to Christ was how I could explain the message of the gospel to my mom and dad. And I remember sitting down with them at the house that I grew up in, in our back porch, and I remember explaining to them, in a lot of ways, exactly what Paul shared at the end of our passage last week. If you remember back to last week, we were in Romans 1, and in verse 16, Paul, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because, what is the gospel? It is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes. And I remember explaining to my parents, like, we need that power of salvation. We actually need that power of salvation because every single one of us has sinned against God. If you think about it, we immediately recognize none of us is perfect. We, we have, in fact, sinned. So all of us are guilty before God. And if we don't have that salvation, then we're not going to spend eternity with God in heaven. Instead, we would spend eternity in hell. Separated from God, punished for our sin. But the incredible message of the gospel, I remember explaining this to my parents, the incredible message of the gospel is that if we simply believe in Christ, if we trust in him to save us from the penalty of our sin, then we don't have to go to hell. We don't have to go to hell for all of eternity. God has promised salvation to everyone who believes. Now, I think in my own personal excitement for Christ, I just assumed that they were going to hear the message of the gospel and realize, like, what I was telling them was the greatest news of all time. Like, they were going to be like, son, you are remarkable. That is amazing. Thank you for telling me. But the response that I got went something like this. Remember one of my parents asking me, so you're telling me that the only way to be saved is through Jesus. I said, yes. They said, so, so you say that's true for everyone on the planet. Like literally everyone in the world has to believe in Jesus to be saved or they go to hell. I said, yes. And the question that came next was this. So what about the person who grows up in some remote part of the world, on some isolated island, and never even hears about Jesus. Never even knows about the God of the Bible. How could a good, loving God send innocent people like that to hell? 
And what they were really saying is this. If somebody doesn't even know the solution, how could you possibly expect them to embrace the solution? There is some sense in which our ignorance makes us innocent. How could a good, loving God send people who have never heard about Jesus or the gospel to hell? And that question was a major obstacle for them to embrace Christ or even to see God's goodness. Perhaps you are struggling with that very question today. Maybe that question is making it very difficult for somebody in your life who you love and care about to embrace Christ or even to see the goodness of God. Well, today, that is the exact question that Paul is going to be pressing into and answering in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Now, before we get to that, uh, we've got to step back just a little bit here and remember what is like the overarching purpose of the letter of Romans. Why did Paul actually write this entire letter of Romans in the first place. He's not writing to skeptics. Okay? Keep that in mind. Paul's not writing here to skeptics. He is writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And in fact, he's writing to unify or to unite together Jewish believers and Gentile believers in the church in Rome under Christ. He's bringing them all together in unity under Jesus. And so his aim in writing this, it's not to persuade skeptics. It's important for us to realize that. He's writing to knit together believers in the gospel. And halfway through the first chapter, as Paul's introducing himself to the Romans, many of whom he's never met before, so he's giving a personal introduction, it seems like he sets himself up perfectly to be able to pivot and explain the message of the gospel that unites us all together under Christ. Verse 16, he tells them, hey, the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, both Jew and Gentile, Jew and Greek. And it's the righteousness of God through which we all live by faith. And so you get then to verse 18, and you're expecting that what you're going to find is an explanation of like, okay, now what is the gospel? Like, just tell me the message. What is it? How does it save us? How are we all knit together by it under Christ? And yet what Paul does next is not explain the message of the gospel. Gospel means good news. Paul doesn't share the good news. Instead, what Paul does is he takes two and a half chapters to spell out the bad news. He systematically works through the bad news, spelling out the argument of how a good, loving God could not just send anyone to hell, but send everyone to hell and be completely justified in it. Paul's going to take two and a half chapters to spell out how a good, loving God could send everyone in the world to hell and be totally justified in it. And like I said, he'll do it systematically 
And he will work through the guilt. As he does this, he's going to work through the guilt of the heathen who knows nothing about God, is totally ignorant of God. The hypocrite who knows about God and yet fails to obey him or follow him. And the Hebrew whose heart remains far from God. He systematically walks through the guilt. And and by the way, every single one of us is going to find ourselves in one of those categories, if not more. And he systematically works through the guilt of not just anyone, but of everyone on the planet before God. And so our task for the next eight weeks, as we cover these two and a half chapters of Romans, is going to be to understand not just the fact that everyone really does stand condemned apart from Christ, But why we are guilty before God apart from Jesus, apart from the power of salvation in the gospel, okay? Now, really quickly, if you just heard me correctly, uh, what you heard is we're going to be talking about condemnation for the next eight weeks. (laughs) And you might be thinking to yourself, oh, awesome. Um, (laughs) I think I'm busy for the next two months, (laughs) on Sunday mornings. And honestly, if you like were really excited about it, I would be a little concerned. I would be a little bit concerned about you. But here's the deal. Do you know why Paul does this? Why he turns and spends so much time dwelling on the issue of our guilt before God? It's because until we are united in our condemnation, we are never going to be united under Christ. Until we are humbled and brought together in our guilt before God, then we will never be united by the power of the gospel in Christ. If we're going to be knit together under Jesus, then we must be humbled together by our need for Jesus. A church walking in love and unity towards one another. Remember Paul's aim. He wants to see the church walking in love and unity with one another. No matter how different their backgrounds might be, he wants them to be knit together into Christ. If you want to see a church walking in love and unity towards one another, then you need to find a church where people can look each other in the eyeball and know, I need God's grace just as much as you need God's grace. I am guilty and a sinner just as much as you are guilty and a sinner. So rather than biting and devouring each other, instead what we can do is we can humbly love and serve one another and point each other to the grace of God through Christ. And Paul begins his case to unite us in our condemnation by dealing with the person who is furthest from God, the heathen, the one who is in complete ignorance, doesn't even know about the God of the Bible in the message of Christ, to make the point that even those in ignorance are still guilty and have no excuse. It's an umbrella that puts us all under the wrath of God, united 
in our condemnation. Okay, and Paul builds this argument in three points, and we'll walk our way through it as we get into the text together. So, if you've got your Bibles, now is a good time to have them out, have them open, and we're going to walk through Paul's argument here in his three points. Point number one from Paul is this, unrighteousness suppresses truth. That's Paul's first point, unrighteousness suppresses truth. And this is where he starts the case against the heathen, or the one who is ignorant of God, not God's people. He says, it is unrighteousness that suppresses truth. For God's wrath, verse 18, for God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He's saying, by the unrighteousness of people, okay, they, they press down or they force out truth and they become ignorant they they lose understanding and they become ignorant by unrighteousness and in that statement paul establishes what's going to be the basis for his whole argument here against the heathen which is this ignorance doesn't make us innocent guilt makes us ignorant You see what Paul did there? He he, he turns the tables. He helps us to see a reality here. That our ignorance, it doesn't make us innocent. Instead, it's our guilt that has caused us to be ignorant. To not know God. To not know Christ. Our ignorance, it's not the default setting of of human beings. It's not the way that it was supposed to be. We were made to know God. Okay, think back to Genesis. We taught through Genesis last year. Think back to Genesis. Genesis 1. God's very purpose in creating human beings was that we would know God. There should be zero atheists on the planet. Think about the fact that we are made by God in His image. There should be zero atheists on the planet. There should be zero other religions on the planet. Like from the very beginning, God created us to be with him, to know him, to bear his glorious image, to worship him. And so like from the beginning, that should have been the course of humanity. There should be no other religions in the world. Every person on the planet should know God, should love God, should worship God, should follow God. But some people don't even know about the God of the Bible who created them. But Paul's point here is that their ignorance doesn't make them innocent. It doesn't absolve them of guilt before God. Instead, it's their guilt. It's our guilt that has caused us to be ignorant, to not know about God. It's our sin against God. It's our own unrighteousness that positioned us to not know God. Remember what Paul said in verse 18. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. How could a good, loving God 
send people who have never heard about Jesus or the God of the Bible to hell? How could a good, loving God send people like that to hell? Point number one from Paul is this. Their ignorance doesn't make them innocent. It's their guilt that has caused them to be ignorant, to not know God. And he goes on from there and he ties this to the second point of his argument, which is that truth has been revealed through creation. So the truth about who God is, what he is like, it has not been hidden from people. That is not why people are ignorant. The truth about God has been revealed through what he has made. And this is not to say that like everything about God or everything that anybody could possibly need to know about Christ is revealed through creation. That's not the point. The message of the gospel is not revealed through creation. It's revealed through his word. Okay, the story of Abraham and Isaac, that one's not going to be revealed to you through creation. It's revealed in his word. The way that Jesus is going to come back and judge the world. That that is not revealed in creation. It's revealed in his word. But the point is this. There is much about God that is revealed through his creation. Truth is revealed through creation. For example, God's eternal power and his divine nature have been revealed to us as human beings through what God has made. God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and un, or all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Verse 19, since what can be known about God is evident or clear among them because God has revealed it to them, has shown it to them for his invisible attributes. That is... His eternal power and divine nature, what he is like, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he has made. I mean, when you look up at the heavens, the stars, the the, the universe, it ought to declare to us the eternal power of God. But even more than that, remember... Again, we, we think back to our series in Genesis. God created human beings to bear his glorious image. Like we should be able to look to one another and understand so much about the very nature of God. What he is like. God is not hidden. God was not intended to be hidden. No matter how far into the remote jungles you might be born... There ought to be much about creation, starting with human beings, your fellow human beings, your own mom and dad who brought you into the earth, that declare something, many things, about the very nature of God and who He is. And yet, it's not our ignorance or our inability to see God through His creation that makes us innocent. But instead, again, Paul's point is this. Our ignorance, our inability to know and to understand God through what he has made, it is the result of our guilt. It is a statement of our guilt. 
Our guilt has marred the image of God in each of us and distorted our vision so we don't clearly see God in what he has made. Ephesians 4.18, Paul says, They, meaning the Gentiles, those far off, not knowing God, he says, They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. Our own sin and hard-heartedness brings darkness and a lack of understanding. How could a good, loving God send people who have never heard about Christ, who have never understood the God of the Bible, to hell? Point number two from Paul, again, our ignorance doesn't make us innocent. It is our guilt that has made us ignorant and suppressed our ability to see God clearly through what he has made. God is revealed through what he has made, but our own unrighteousness has brought us into blindness. And as a result, Paul says, point number three, therefore all people are without excuse. Nobody can claim innocence through ignorance. Our ignorance flows from our guilt. That is the logical argument that Paul is making. And because of that, he says, people everywhere, everyone, everywhere... No matter if you've heard of Jesus or not, no matter if you have heard of the God of the Bible or not, all people everywhere are absolutely without excuse. We will have no excuses when we stand before God and have to give an account for our lives to Him. No excuse. Now, don't confuse this with a lack of of compassion. Don't confuse Paul's argument here for a lack of compassion. Do you, do you know who gave up his own life in order to bring the gospel to people who were far away and who had never heard of Christ before? The Apostle Paul. See, understanding that, that people were guilty, it didn't move Paul to apathy. Or to anger. Or to judgment. Did the exact opposite. It moved him to compassion. He said if you are guilty before God. Then you need the grace of Christ. You need the message of the gospel. Because it's the power of salvation to everyone who believes. Understanding that people are guilty. That should never move us to criticism, to apathy, to judgment. It should move us to compassion. If you are guilty, then you need the message of the gospel because it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. And don't confuse Paul's explanation here to be the explanation at this like hyper-individualized, hyper-personalized level, okay? What I mean is this, track with me. Okay, take the person in the remote jungles of Africa who's never heard of Jesus before, never heard the gospel, never heard of the God of the Bible. Okay, don't look at that person who is ignorant of God, has never heard of God, and say, ah, I know what happened here. You knew God. 
It was clearly revealed to you. But then you individually, you suppressed your knowledge of God by your own individual unrighteousness. And the real reason why you in the jungle don't know about God or know the gospel is because you were unrighteous and you have suppressed the truth. And if you would just stop, because here's where that logic goes. If you would just stop being unrighteous, well, then you would stop suppressing the truth. And then you would know the God of the Bible. And then you, too, would understand the gospel and you would be saved. That is not what Paul is saying. He's not taking this down to like the hyper-individualized personal level. Think about your own life, okay? Just think about your own life. We do not know the truth about God because we stopped being unrighteous and therefore stopped suppressing the truth and just miraculously then understood what we needed to know about God. You know God You know the message of the Bible. You know the message of the gospel because someone took the time to teach it to you. To share it with you. Somebody took the time to translate the Bible into English so you could read the Bible and understand it. Somebody shared Christ with you. And God was gracious to open the eyes of your heart. And by his grace, if you are in Christ, you you came to faith when you heard and received and understood the message of the gospel. Paul is not saying, like at the hyper-individualized level, this is the way that ignorance works. So you should look at every person who's ignorant and be like, oh, I know what happened here. Unrighteous, suppressed truth, now you don't know. Paul is explaining the story of mankind. And it will become more and more clear to us as he goes on in his argument. He is saying that human beings, all of us collectively, we were made to know God and reveal him in creation. Genesis 1 and 2, like the whole Bible starts with that foundation. And yet humanity has gone astray. Human beings, collectively, we all have gone astray. And we all, through that, have suppressed the knowledge of God through our unrighteousness. And so, our ignorance as human beings doesn't make us innocent. It's a declaration of our guilt. It's a result of our guilt. And it makes all of us, no matter what our background is, no matter what family we were born into, or what religious background we might have been born into, no matter where we were raised or what part of the world we came from, Whether we've heard about Jesus or not, it makes all of us without excuse before God. That is where Paul begins his argument to bring all of us together, again, in unity in our condemnation. Now, I want to give you three implications of the argument that Paul is making here. And these implications, they're going to drive us to our application. Okay? Implication number one. Everyone, everywhere, is accountable to God. Really what Paul is getting at here, foundationally, he he is driving to a place where, where what we recognize is that we are all actually accountable 
to God. He, he, he says at the end of verse 20, as a result, people are without excuse. Here's my point. That's what Paul's saying there. As a result, everyone is without excuse. We're all accountable before God. Everyone will be without excuse when it is our turn, when our heart stops beating, when your heart stops beating in your chest or the Lord returns and it's our turn, my turn, your turn to stand before God in judgment and give an account to him. Every one of us will be without excuse. None of us will be able to say something like this. Look, I was a pretty good person. I did the best I could. I just didn't, I didn't know you. I was a pretty good person. I did the best I could. I just never heard about Christ. Do we realize that Paul is driving at a point where we would recognize, again, not for the purpose of bashing people or judging people, but for the purpose of moving us in compassion. He wants us to recognize we are all accountable to God. Doesn't matter if we've had the Bible translated into our language or not. It doesn't matter if we've heard about God or not. It doesn't matter if we grew up in a Christian home or a Buddhist home or a Muslim home or a Jewish home or an atheist home or an agnostic home. It doesn't matter. We are accountable to the God who made us to bear his image. Second implication of Paul's argument, everyone everywhere is guilty of sin before God. We're not just accountable, we're actually guilty. And if we want to understand our guilt, yes, you could interview every single person on the planet and just ask them about their life or maybe follow them around for like 24 hours. And we would recognize rather quickly, human beings are in fact sinful. But do you see the logic of Paul's argument in 18 through 20? In 18 through 20, he's bringing the whole world under guilt before God in this way. He says, everybody should know God, but we don't. We don't know God. And it is our collective human guilt that has brought us to ignorance as human beings. We're all born in ignorance of God because we all have the sin nature. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish or to lie or to steal. They'll do that on their own. Okay, but you do have to teach a child to know God. Like if you if you just built a concrete room and you put two kids in it from birth, okay, just set them in the room and somehow miraculously find out just like get food in there, help them to eat. Uh, do you know what they will do? They will fight, <laughs> lie, steal from each other, hit each other, yell at each other. You know what they won't do? Bow down and worship Jesus. You have to teach a child to know God. You don't have to teach them to sin. What Paul is pointing to is that our ignorance, the fact that we don't know God by default as human beings, it flows from our guilt, our sin nature, which has suppressed the truth of God. And everyone, everywhere, 
He's guilty of sin before God. But the third implication is this. Everyone everywhere needs Christ. Again, that, that is his real driving point. It is not that we would look at people who are ignorant of God and say, Oh, I know what happened, you unrighteous fool. It's that we would see people with compassion with the eyes of Christ and say, you need Jesus. You need salvation. You need the power of the gospel. You you need that power to save everyone who believes. If we're guilty, then we all need God's grace. If we are all guilty, we all need God's forgiveness and mercy. That only comes through faith in Christ. That is the only way to access forgiveness in the entire world. There is only one way. To access forgiveness for our sin against God. It is through Jesus, through faith in Jesus. Everyone everywhere needs Christ. The whole point of Paul's opening statement is it's not to just condemn us all and make us feel like garbage. It is to unite us in our condemnation so that... We would be knit together in Christ. You you really can't come to faith in Christ until you understand you have a problem. You really can't come into the power of salvation through the gospel until you understand you need the power of salvation. And Paul is bringing us to unity and condemnation so that we would be knit together in Christ. And he's not arming us with, with ammunition to just go around condemning people or throw it in their face. It's the opposite. He is writing to convince us. Everyone in the world is actually accountable to God. Do you understand that? It's supposed to make us uncomfortable. It's supposed to shake us. It's supposed to cause us to stop and to think, what am I doing with my life? If everybody in the world is actually accountable before God, if everyone in the world is actually guilty before God, and if everybody in the world then therefore actually needs real grace through Jesus, what am I doing with my life? Like there is a truth that transcends my own little problems in my own little world. There's a truth that matters. You know, there are three billion people on the planet who as of today, they will live and die without ever hearing the message of the gospel. It's supposed to shake us and move us. And Paul knows if we're going to walk in unity in the church and if we're going to walk in the ways that God has called us to in the church, then we first need to be clear about our condemnation apart from Christ. We need to be humbled by our need for Christ and broken by the truth that our need for Christ is not just true for me. It is true for you. It is true for your neighbor. It is true for the man in the remotest parts of Africa and everyone in between. And because that is the reality we live in, the application is this. We we need to draw a straight line from what Paul's teaching here 
to the mission of the church. In our practical application, as we understand our unity and condemnation, it is to live for Christ's mission in the church. Do you know what the mission of God is? It is not to just bring everyone everywhere under condemnation. No, it is to see everyone everywhere knit together as one people under Christ. It is to see everyone everywhere from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation knit together as one people through the grace of Christ, through the mercy of Christ. This is the glorious mission of God, that every person on the planet wouldn't just... They wouldn't even just know about God or know about Jesus, but they would actually come to faith through Christ and know God himself, have a relationship with him and worship him. And we know we can have confidence that at least some from every tribe, tongue, nation and language will come to faith in Christ and worship him. That's the promise of his word. At the Great Commission in in Matthew 28, Jesus, he said, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, and then baptize them into the family of God through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He's on a mission to bring people from every corner of the globe to himself. To bring everyone... Everywhere, from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language, together as one people under Christ. So he tells us, as his people, as his church, go and make disciples. Bring them into the family of God. Mark them into the family of God by baptism. He says in Matthew 24, 14, the end of the world is not going to come until this message of the gospel is proclaimed in every corner of the globe. To all the world, in every nation. He says in Revelation 5, verse 9, that his, through his body and blood... He has purchased people for salvation from every tribe and language and people and nation. Do you know God promises that? The mission of God is to actually see these people, everyone on the, on the face of the earth. See, this is what I think people sometimes miss in that. But like, how could a good, loving God... Send innocent people like that who have never heard about Jesus to hell. The real question is this. God has purchased people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation for salvation through his own blood. He has done it. The real question is, how could we as the redeemed people of God do nothing with that? How could we care so little about the fact that God has actually saved people who have never heard yet about Christ? God has actually purchased by his own body and blood people who as of today haven't yet heard The message of Christ. The issue is not that God sends innocent people to hell. That is not what has happened. And it is not that God cares little 
about those who are scattered all over the world who have never heard the message of Christ. He cares so much that he purchased by his own body and blood for salvation. Even those among peoples who have not yet heard. The the issue is, as his messengers, as his body, as his church, will we follow him in his mission? And the way that Jesus is on mission in the world is through the church. It is through the church. The family of God. And if you are in Christ, you are called by Jesus to be a part of the church and on his mission together as the family of God. And he has given you specific gifts and roles in his body to to love, to serve, to encourage, to build up to send, to go, to support, to pray. God has given us a role in His mission. He's given us a role in His family, in His church. And if you are in Christ, God's call on your life It is to be on mission in the church. There are three billion people on the planet who as it stands, and many more who will not hear the gospel, but three billion people on the planet who as it stands have almost no chance as of today to hear the gospel because they have few or no believers in their own tribe or tongue or no translation of the scriptures no church among them they will live and die in complete ignorance of Christ and yet God is not apathetic towards them He is not. God is on mission. God is on mission to see them knit together as his people under Christ. And he's called his church to be his body, to be the vehicle through which his mission is being carried out on earth. And we need to be people on mission as the family of God. The question I want you to think about is this. So what are we going to do? The point is not to, to call us into like playing hero ball. Like, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to go get it. I, I feel so guilty, I'm going to go get it. I'm just going to go do it. That's not the point. The point is just to call us into being the church. 
It's God's mission that he's called us into through the church, through the body of believers. And we need to be knit together in that. Sacrificing for one another, sacrificing for those who don't yet know Christ. Loving one another, loving those who don't yet know Christ. Serving one another, serving those who don't yet know Christ. Proclaiming the gospel to one another, building up one another in the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel to those who don't yet know Christ. And the mission of God, it's going to cost you to live in the church on mission together. It will cost you. To the one who goes overseas and goes to the remotest parts of Africa to proclaim the message of Christ to those who don't yet know, it will cost very tangibly much. But to those who stay, God's call is not into apathy. God's call is into sacrificial mission as a body. And we need to be people who are on God's mission in the church. May we not be apathetic, but may we be a family on mission together in the church because the world needs Christ. The world stands accountable to God. The world stands guilty before God. And the world needs Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that your word would move us to compassion, God. That that you would move us by your spirit, God, to a heart of compassion that transforms our living, God. God, may we not be like the hypocrite who knows much about God but does very little with that knowledge, God. Help us to be your people, God. May we have compassion for, for the heathen, for those that are ignorant of God who know nothing of the God of the Bible, Lord. May we see that our own knowledge of you, our own knowledge of the gospel, that is a gift of your grace. That isn't something we earned. We forfeited that right, God, when we sinned against you, God. But may we have compassion on those who don't know you, God. And may that lead us to a willingness to give grace to one another in the church to serve one another, to love one another, but also, God, to give grace to those beyond these church walls, to love and serve those beyond these church walls, God. Move us, Lord, by your spirit, Lord. May we not be moved by a sense of of guilt or condemnation, but instead be moved by a hunger and a thirst and a desire to see your glory in the world, God. That is what, God, ought to be moving our hearts to mission, a desire to see you worshipped, to see you glorified. God, may that sink into our hearts, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.